Hello, and welcome to another installment of The Weird Chronicles. Each episode, we bring you tales of action and adventure from Malifaux and the other side. Everyone in Malifaux is an immigrant, save for the Neverborn. Some come seeking wealth and fortune. Others come to escape trouble on the other side of the breach. For a few, even Malifaux is not far enough to escape their pasts and the judgment of their ancestors. I hope you enjoy today's story, Ram in the Thicket. Ram in the Thicket by N. A. Wolf. Tonight, it had to be tonight. He could wait no longer, and neither could she. The shriek of hissing steam and the thunderous crash of molten metal filled Li Julong's ears as he guided the last of the day's boiling steel into its mold. A bubbling, elephant-sized vat of liquefied metal was secured to his crane by thick, knotted iron chains. They glowed a radiant, arcane blue, the vestigial trace of some complex, strengthening enchantment from Lady Feng beyond Julong's understanding. He relished the familiar pain from the tightening muscles in the back of his neck as he lovingly tilted the controls forward with a precise application of force. When the last of the burning metal dribbled sluggishly from its container and into the frame below, he breathed a great sigh of reprieve. After months of work, he had never missed his mark. Still, the mere thought of the destruction that might occur if he did was too horrible to contemplate and so he never gave the crane anything less than his full attention. Today, however, he had something else on his mind, and a shank buried underneath his sleeve. He was so distracted that it was a relief to have finished this final batch of rail girders without injury. At last, the day had drawn to a close. The rail golems below were already being decommissioned, topaz fire dying from their eyes as the steam vented from their bodies. Pink evening rays were streaming through the skylights above, and the other workers were already putting away their tools or oiling their prosthetics. Wiping his brow with the back of one hand, Julong hit the safety brake with the other before climbing down from his perch. The day is almost over, she whispered. It's time. Find him. That was quite impressive for your tenth batch. A voice from behind made him jump and Julong nearly lost his balance as he sloppily dismounted from the ladder. The tone was gruff, impatient, and unforgiving, even when offering praise. Most of the others burn out by now. How is it that a scrawny runt like you can produce twice as much steel as any other worker here? And no one during your shifts ever has to pay a visit to that new doctor. He eyed Julong testily. Speaking of which, goddamn, you look especially ugly today. The man's name was Adeo and to Julong's dismay, he had appeared too soon. His greasy smile glinted with more golden teeth than Julong could count. The truth was, Julong had not slept or eaten properly in days. The only thing that kept him going was getting to the next vat of steel and the endless waiting for the right opportunity to... Hey, Squirt, I'm talking to you, Adeo barked. Answer your betters with a little goddamn respect. What the hell's wrong with you today? Julong only shrugged as he rubbed away at the dark circles under his eyes, feeling the burning hatred for this westerner mount in a blazing crescendo as it coursed through his veins. 
He sensed the shank rub against the sunburnt skin beneath his sleeve of its own accord. She was tense, he could feel it. Stick him now, she whispered in his skull with a delicate hiss. He's right in front of you, and we have waited for weeks. He fought against her. The time wasn't right. There are too many, he answered. Chen Shuiling can see me from above, and Rang Hongwen is right behind. The two rail workers had paused their work at the sound of Adeo's voice. I cannot wait any longer. He had to stay resolute. No. Zhulong's eyes rolled into the back of his head. Her tendrils were stretching further. It was the sound of Adeo's voice that brought him back into focus. You look like a goddamn panda. The Lusitanian smirked obliviously, raising a mocking eyebrow at the dark patches below Zhulong's weary lids. Fitting, as I suppose there are lots of those beasts in that piss-pooled chumhole I pulled you out from. Zhulong gritted his teeth. There were no beasts in his hamlet. But as he knew too well, there were other things there. Things that not even a life of toil at the foundry could help him leave behind. Or rather, something that would not leave him. Now! A voice rattled inside his skull, and she flashed in front of him again, pale as snow, eyes gaping and white, flesh torn and missing. Her lips were purple and bruised, her teeth pointed like knives. Shards of rock, surely the remnants of some deathly plummet, sprung from the lacerations that dotted her face, still sharp as bloody spines. He could resist no longer. My village was beautiful, Julong replied his voice shaking. And there are no pandas in Fujian. Adeo was still laughing as the shank pierced his throat in a flash of silver and crimson. Earthside, three months ago. The finality of nightfall. Chopstick standing upright in bowls of steaming rice. The symbol of death. Smoking incense, burnt offerings. Silent tears, waves crashing in the gloom, a white tomb without a body. Though it had been almost three years since he had lost his older sister, Gigi, Li Zhulong would never forget her memorial service. It crept upon his village two weeks after her disappearance like a brooding omen of defeat, haunting him again and again in flashes of searing memory. On the eve of the tidal festival, Gigi had journeyed from their little fishing hamlet into the mountains to make an offering at the temple of the sea goddess and pray for father's health. Father was too ill to go himself, and anyway the elders said that the sea goddess especially favoured offerings made by maidens. Travelling on father's behalf was her yearly ritual. On the eve of every tidal festival she would set out at sunrise in high spirits, kissing father goodbye and telling him that this year, the goddess would surely heal him by the time she came home. But when she returned at sunset to find him still lying in bed, nursing his sallow legs bloated from crippling gout, she would weep herself into a frenzy. She could never discern what went wrong, and each year Julong could do nothing but reassure her that she had done everything a good handmaiden would. Had her offering not been enticing enough? Surely not. Gigi always handpicked the deity's favourite foods, pickled rose petals, smoked fish, candied lotus seeds and soft pineapple cakes. 
or had she not suffered enough to earn the sea goddess pity? Of course she had. Gigi always took the most difficult route to the monastery each time as an act of penitence. The pass was sheer, narrow and craggy, perilously overlooking the swirling turquoise rapids of the misty gorge below. The jungle plants were so thick that the road was almost indistinguishable from the thorny underbrush, and the shale so steep that in some parts the kindly attendant of the low river had to hammer chains into the rocks as handholds. Julong could not understand her. It was as if she treated herself with such great asceticism, just to conform to the skewed expectations of the Lusitanian and Diesque traders, who loved telling hurtful, drunken tales about the cool austerity of her people. With indignation and disbelief, he had asked her again and again how such masochism could be pleasing to the sea goddess, but Gigi's response never faltered. Anything worthwhile requires sacrifice. How could she expect the sea goddess to restore father's vitality if she did not risk her own? But one year, everything changed. By the time the sun began to set beneath the hazy horizon and the lanterns for the festival were lit, Gigi had not yet returned from her journey. Hours dragged into days, days into weeks. Despite frantic searching, no one ever found her body, not even at the basin of the swirling rapids below the temple, where the broken corpses of other unfortunate climbers often met their final repose. The other villagers said that she was spirited away, swept forever into the swirling grey mist of the gorge by the Imo, the jealous demons banished to the depths of the earth by the deity's wrath. Shortly after, father, stricken by grief, lost his battle with infection and joined her, leaving Julong alone. That was when Adeo found him. It was Adeo who first brought Julong to promise, with a labourer's contract, a wink, and promises that wealth and a new family awaited him in a new world, on the other side of the breach. Julong was hesitant to leave his ancestral home, but what was left to him here? Nothing but haunting memories. But on the other side, Gigi was waiting for him. Malifaux, the first month breachside. Adeo could not help but admire Promise's very survival as the town pulsed around him. Few places in all of Malifaux were as well hidden or as desolate. It was miles from the nearest river, the Frost Run, and no railroad connected it to Malifaux City. The guild had no record that the town ever existed. A journey even by horse could take several weeks or more. The only kinds of people desperate enough to make such a grueling trek were escaped convicts or drifters on the run from unpayable debts. One by one, they discovered the trading post by accident during their flight, finding it a much more comfortable alternative to their initial plan for a life of exile in the northern hills. Yet even though the sun had already sunk well behind the horizon of the Badlands tonight, the central avenue was still packed with dozens of colourful stalls, selling a hearty mix of street fare from both the Three Kingdoms and the West. This evening's night market was a special occurrence. Usually shopkeepers bared their doors long before sunset for fear of the creatures that stalked the desert wastes in the darkness. It would only open when the town could hire enough mercenaries to watch the sky for swooping Nephilim, which hunted for human prey in the sickening light of the trickster moon. The boisterous noise of the street vendors was overpowering, 
The smell of smoking incense, broiling meat, and caramelized sugar lingered in the air like a haze so thick that Adeo felt as if it coated his skin. Wily merchants advertised hot, oily funnel cakes oozing rich, fruity glazes, sold side by side with charred pork buns and diced chicken deep-fried with wilted basil and flaming chili peppers. Other stall owners waved lucky charms of jade and delicately woven pouches of silk, crocheted with Hanzi characters of good luck and prosperity, though a few advertised more common jackalope's feet and garlic fillants. Such a juxtaposition between East and West was not unusual for the night market. Promise was anything but homogenous. Every month, new families from Shong, Guo, Nippon, and Josen mysteriously arrived to mingle with their European counterparts, each bringing their respective cultures with them. Who exactly these newcomers were and how they had crossed the breach was anyone's guess. No one ever asked questions in Promise, at least not people who valued their tongues. Hideo pushed the throng aside to better navigate through the flow of people. Vendors shouted at him in several languages and tried to sell him drinks. A portly man in a frayed frock coat plied him with a mug of coffee laced with moonshine, and no sooner had he elbowed him aside than another man in muddy saffron robes and the conic straw hat of a rice farmer tried to place a rusty tin cup of rich sugarcane juice into his fingers. He slipped past this vendor too, who immediately focused his attention on another passerby once Adeo's back was turned. Adeo had blended into the crowd once again, his dark trench coat shielding him from both the chill desert wind and unwanted stares. The throng created the perfect distraction as he turned into a small apothecary selling dried herbs and deformed pickled roots. The owner invited him behind the counter, where he opened a trap door hidden beneath a thick woolen carpet. As Adeo entered the dingy basement, a voice rose to greet him from the gloom. You came. I was growing impatient. His accent was clipped and delicate, with hints of Nipponese hiding behind the harsher syllables. The speaker wore saffron robes, bound tight with black leather around the waist, ankles, and upper arms. A porcelain mask covered his face. The crowd was thicker than I anticipated. Given how rare the night markets occur, people get excited. You should learn to control them better. His interlocutor was unimpressed. You should have planned ahead. You Westerners are all imprecise. He thought of snapping back, but knew better of it. His thumb brushed the knife in his pocket. You asked for an update before my payment? He asked through gritted teeth. The Toragaj nodded wordlessly. Adeo chose his words with care. The foundry's latest recruits from Fujin have arrived. As you requested, they are able-bodied, strong, and without family. They will not be missed. This latest batch is particularly adept with steel. The other man cut him off abruptly. Lady Feng informed me of an incident at the foundry involving one of your selections earlier this week. He drummed his fingers against his mask. Adeo's stomach shrank, but he recovered himself quickly. It's nothing. The boy's a bit unsettled. He misses a sister he left behind or something stupid like that. Anyway, Lady Feng was not present at the time, and she clearly misconstrued the severity of the incident. I handled it appropriately. He took a deep breath before concluding, the boy you speak of, Julong, he is a hard worker. He produces twice as much steel during his shifts as some of my better recruits. 
and he eats and sleeps little. Consider his eccentricities an unfortunate side effect of his success. Choose your targets more carefully next time. The Torakaj responded bluntly, turning his back to Adele before adding, You are to return Earthside via the Ten Peaks tonight in search of your next wave. I want seven more, this time from Shangkang. Ming Yuo is waiting to escort you. Without another word, he tossed three glittering soul stones and a wad of scrip over his shoulder at Adeo's feet before vanishing in a puff of smoke. With a sigh of relief, Adeo relaxed his grip around his knife. Looking down, he was disappointed to see that only two of the three stones seemed fully charged. Swearing, he folded the bills around their precious cargo before placing the entire bundle in his chest pocket. As he turned to leave, he reassured himself with the knowledge that at least the guild would pay him handsomely for the intimate details about promise which he had been hired to sell them. I am not the one you should have chosen more carefully, he thought as he closed the trap door with a satisfied slam behind him. The nightmares about Gigi came even when Julong fell asleep with the lanterns ablaze. He would try to rest right underneath the light so that when he closed his eyes, their soothing red glow, barely perceptible in the inky darkness, would calm him into a hopefully quiet, dreamless sleep. The other rail workers always made fun of him for it. They said that a strong young man like him should be the last person to jump at shadows or sleep with a light on. But Julong knew better. They didn't know what it was like to be truly scared. Whenever he drifted off to sleep, he saw Gigi's face in the darkness. You left home. She always spat, licking the blood dribbling from her lips with a forked tongue. You left your ancestors, abandoned them. What would father say? He tried to fight her, but she always won. He would dream of sitting on the breakwater near his village with Gigi, where the two of them often went at sunset. The rays would be so beautiful, until the clouds darkened and a great storm came to sweep Gigi into the jagged rocks below. He would jump into the swirling grey water to save her, but instead of reaching for his hand, Gigi transformed into a hideous demon with sharp teeth and narrowed eyes, dragging him down to his death until he awoke in a cold sweat. Barely two weeks after he had arrived in Promise, the nightmares became so incapacitating that Julong rarely slept. It was safer to stay awake and fight the agony of his itching eyes rather than suffer the wrath of his own dreams. He woke up one morning so delirious that he feared for the safety of the other rail workers in his shift. He could not operate the crane in this condition. One slip of the hand and a fiery death of molten metal would surely consume them all. One of the foremen, three ranks Julong Senior, came to his bunk when he had not shown up at the muster station for roll call. He found Julong screaming in his sleep, raking his face with his nails and twitching uncontrollably in a curled ball. He tried to wake him up, but Julong fought back, shoving the foreman away so hard that he smashed into the wall behind him, leaving bloody streaks on the worn wood. It took three workers and one of Lady Feng's metal gammon to restrain him. They forced his eyes open, and Julong awoke at last with a gasp. When he did, he refused to operate the steel crane. He tried to explain that he would jeopardize their safety in his current state but the other rail workers dismissed him as lazy. Nightmares are just nightmares, 
They don't come into the real world. So get your courage back and take it with you to the assembly line. The foreman had grunted, rubbing the cut on the back of his head gingerly. They didn't understand. They couldn't understand. Gigi was everywhere. He made his way to the foundry floor with the others, deliberately lagging behind. When they cleared the hall, he barricaded himself in his bunk room and closed his eyes for a few uninterrupted hours of dreamless sleep. Matters were made worse when Adeo came to visit him later that night. All the rail workers were assembled for the evening muster, sleepily shouting out here's and presents when the foreman read their names. Li Long was about to answer to the sound of his name when Adeo stormed into the dormitory, howling at the top of his lungs, gold teeth glinting sinisterly in the light of the flickering lamps. What the hell is wrong with you, boy? I'll drag you from some godforsaken rattle into this brand new world of promise and opportunity, and you refuse to work because of some dreams? The other rail workers hissed. Look at all these people here, Julong. Look at them. Adeo grabbed one of the snickering rail workers by the scruff of the neck and forced him forward. The smile slid from his face, and the man now looked horrified. This is my tailing. Do you know what happened to him? Julong was so embarrassed that he could feel his face blazing. He shook his head. I pulled this sorry louse from his village in Sichuan after the guild were finished with it. They killed both his parents and his little brother, burned down his farm and slaughtered his livestock. And they just walked away. But not before they had put the Ma family heads on pikes for tailing to find. And you know what? I brought him here, isn't that right? The man nodded wordlessly. Practice had taught him that it was best not to speak up. And now you have a job and food and a home, isn't that right? He nodded again. Good. Adeo pushed him back into line. You see that, Julong? There are people here who have really suffered, and you lose your sister to some freak accident that you can't even identify, and now you have nightmares. On cue, the others started to laugh, although this time it seemed forced. Even the foreman fidgeted slightly in the corner of Julong's eye, although it was difficult for him to register it. His hatred of Adeo was mounting again, and his sight was blurry. I'm taking away a week's wages, you spineless bastard. I don't ever want to see you shirk your duty again. I'm only so lenient because most of the time you somehow produce more steel than any of the other rats here. Julong was close to tears. As Adeo slammed the dormitory door behind him, he saw a reflection in the glass. It was not his own. Gigi leered at him through pointed teeth, uttering a haunting whisper that only he could hear. You should never have left. Father would be so ashamed. Malifaux, the second month, Breachside. The public shrine in the center of promise was unmistakable from the buildings which surrounded it. Its sloping pagoda roof was beautifully decorated with prancing animals and swirling dragons, carved lovingly from porous stone and painted in bright shades of red, teal, and gold. It was small compared to the larger family temple's earthside, but it matched them in every other respect. In three separate corridors stood regal statues of distinct deities, one of the harvest, one of protection, and the last of prosperity. Flickering red candles and little glass cups lined the alcoves at the pedestal of each statue, and bunches of lucky stones and kidney-shaped fortune-telling blocks 
were placed neatly in wooden crates for visitors to take on their way out. Julong sat alone beneath the effigy for the deity of protection, spinning his father's old prayer wheel between his fingers. He looked into the eyes of the statue, wild, fierce, and vigilant. The deity held a glittering golden polearm in one hand and a scroll with characters of warding in the other. Help me, please. I am haunted, he whispered. He was seeing Gigi everywhere now, in the flames of lamps, in mirrors, and even in the faces of the people he passed by. He was so afraid that he kept his eyes locked on the ground. In the one place he thought he was safe, she had still managed to reach him. A whispering shot through his skull. Did you think you would be safe here, little brother? Nowhere can you be safe from your own shame. He wanted to scream. The temple was empty at this hour. No one would have heard him. Tell me, why did you leave home? Did our ancestral lands mean nothing to you? Were you selfish enough to think that just because father and I moved beyond, our hearth was no longer your responsibility? She had materialized before him, inches from his face, her eyes wide and bloody, lacerations dotting her pale skin. Were you embarrassed of being a fisherman like father, you arrogant waste? He forced himself to look at the haunted visage he had seen so many times in his dreams. The razor-sharp teeth breaking the bleeding skin of her cracked lips still terrified him. But he forced himself to speak up. What do you want? Why won't you leave me alone? She drifted above the statue. With mocking laughter, she toppled the deity and stood on the pedestal in its place, while casting a disparaging glance at the wreckage below. Because you made a mistake. Do not blame me for your own misery. Misery? You are making me miserable, you bitch! She scoffed. Me, making you miserable. Let me ask you a question. Gigi raised her palm to the side of her face mockingly, as though pretending to be lost in thought. The bones on her fingers were pearly white against the crimson lacerations in her hand. Who took you away from Fujian in the promise of new opportunity? Who lied to you, embarrassed you, tormented you, scorned you? Who has truly been responsible for your misery over the past three months? And he knew. Adeo must die. I am not a murderer, he shouted back at her. I won't do it. Then I won't ever leave you, and you know it. Do you think any of this is real? It's all you, telling yourself what you are too much of a spineless coward to admit. Gigi laughed, and all faded to black. Julong awoke with a start as he felt the cold water crash over his face. He was lying on the floor of the temple amidst the ruins of the protector's shattered statue. Its head had been locked clean off with a single blow. One of the attendants helped Julong to his feet, and he hobbled back to the foundry, carefully concealing the shards of plaster embedded in the palms of his right hand. The tiny words cupped into his skin made him bristle. The choice is yours. Malifo, the third month breach side. Now! Her voice rattled inside his skull, and she flashed in front of him again, pale as snow, eyes gaping and white, 
flesh torn and missing. Her lips were purple and bruised, her teeth pointed like knives. Shards of rock, surely the remnants of some deathly plummet, sprung from the lacerations that dotted her face, still sharp as bloody spines. He could resist no longer. My village was beautiful, Julong replied, his voice shaking, and there are no pandas in Fujian. Adeo was still laughing as the shank pierced his throat in a flash of silver and crimson. The other two rail workers rushed forward in confusion. The first grabbed Julong's wrist, and the shank clattered onto the catwalk out of his reach. The second pinned him down, using his stronger mechanical prosthesis to pinion his other arm behind his back. His face hit the ground hard. The blood from Adeo's corpse pooled around his face, and a sharp blow to the back of the head forced him into blackness once again. Not long after Adeo's death, a young woman in pale lilac robes knelt alone atop the tallest tower of the hidden temple, her thin fingers dancing over the finely engraved keys of a radiant silver flute with a delicate touch. She closed her eyes as she felt the breeze carry the notes into the ether. A few seconds later, she felt a faint rustle and a deathly chill. The candles went out. She opened her eyes. A maiden no older than 18 had suddenly appeared inches from her face. Her skin was white as frost and clear as water. Her kindly eyes, still beautiful though they were glassy and unseeing, stared low at the ground in submission. The sea goddess is waiting with my father. She wavered, her face in her hands. I have transfigured myself and tormented my loving brother. I have taken a life. I cannot wander this path any longer. She looked up into the porcelain kabuki mask of her summoner, marble white but for the pale rouge on its swollen cheeks. You promised me freedom. You are released from our service, my child. She replied, not unkindly. Return to your slumber, and bid your father my respect. May your ancestors bless you, as I will your brother. Rest assured he will come to no harm for his actions. She played another note, and the spirit became one with the night. Yaki sighed. This one had been so young and so innocent, she thought as she slipped the flute between the folds of her robes. Manipulating her for such a long time had been a pity, but a necessary one. Adeo's ties to the rams were an unacceptable complication. Julong and Gigi, an opportunity. She had barely turned her back to the shrine when a saffron-robed arm shot out of the darkness to bar her path. Kiyaki flinched, but recovered her poise quickly. She knew exactly who her assailant was. Only one man residing in the hidden temple could be so bold or so stupid to corner her in the darkness. You have no subtlety, Lahu, she said by way of greeting. She had abandoned her motherly demeanor the moment she had stopped playing her flute. There is not always a need for it, Mei Feng's brother growled in a tiger's purr. I do not see why you did not ask me or one of my assets to dispose of that snake Adeo directly. It would have been much easier than weeks of this spiritual nonsense. The man whose rebellion had flooded promise with an endless supply of refugees, Shong Guo, 
had never been a patient one. That he had missed an opportunity for violence seemed to disappoint him dearly. He rubbed his tiger claws together, relishing the harsh rebuke of steel on steel as he spat. What has it been? Three weeks since that obnoxious treasure hunter under Yamaziko's thumb gave us intelligence that the Lusitanian was a guild spy? How much would we have saved if you had just allowed me to slit his wearing throat when we found out instead of wasting time pursuing? He paused, searching for the right words which seemed beyond his limited vocabulary. Alternative methods. And if you had killed him openly, as you so enjoy doing, he would have been another traitor added to the tally. Yet how many more continue to betray us even though they know the punishment is death? Another killing would only show our own agents that we are so weak that the betrayals continue. This is nonsense. Your ability to communicate with the dead has left you arrogant and jaded. Your people have always been that way, I've noticed. Leo Hu grunted. Her face remained stoic. I may disagree with Lady Feng in many regards, she said, but I now understand why she detests you. Her eyes widened ever so slightly. You are a blunt instrument. You did not realize the point of this whole exercise. The point? He asked, clearly unconvinced. He began to pick up little handfuls of snow from the railing, letting them run between his thick fingers into the misty abyss below. Enlighten me. It's simple, really. It was an experiment to see if the people we smuggle into promise can be herded effectively without the pair of you. She caressed her flute as a mother does a child. It turns out that they can. What is it that you do? Tempt war refugees through our breach, promise them freedom, and then demand protection money once they arrive? She scoffed, so primitive. The Oyabon grows concerned that the torture and extortion you so lovingly levy all over promise are only lazy substitutes for real control. There are other methods. This was but one of them. Lao Hu remained unimpressed. Real control. There is no force greater than extortion. Kiaki snorted. My experiment with the boy from Fujian has proven otherwise. Julong has never heard of the Thunders, and he never will. But he has already done us a great service, and he will never question it or fear a master that he does not even know exists. And our own agents have no reason to suspect Adeo died for his treachery. After all, he was murdered by a raving madman. Everyone saw it. She seemed satisfied. That is real control. She gazed Lehu up and down, noting his unkempt hair and the haphazardly clasped leather bindings of his saffron robes with a blank stare of disdain. How much longer will you and your sister continue to be useful to us, I wonder? She could feel him bristle in shock. Do not forget how much I have done for your Oyabun. Lehu bellowed. My rebellion turned the worst occupation in my people's history into an opportunity for his gain. Promise exists because of me. Promise brings you wealth because of me. That is the point, my boxer. Your people, not his. There is a distinction, clearly. Kiaki cocked her head to one side, not bothering to spare him a glance as she shoved his arm aside venomously, 
and made her way down the spiral staircase. Your rebellion opened the floodgates, Lehu. Now it is time for greater powers to direct the water. Leaving Lehu seething like a wounded beast, the niece departed in a swirl of purple robes. There would be a time when even his spirit might be her plaything. Superiority was sweet, but she could not become distracted by it. There was much to discuss, and Yan Lo was waiting. Still, she needed to do one final thing to appease the ancestors who had long despised her dishonesty. Locked in a dingy jail cell with nothing but a single flickering candle for company, Li Long slept properly for the first time in three months. He grew hungry again, and the shadows beneath his emaciated eyes were fading. The visions of Gigi's broken spirit were no more, and her whispers had disappeared. He dreamed that he and his sister were sitting together at their usual spot on the breakwater, munching on pineapple cakes and sipping sweet millet wine from bamboo cups carved into the shapes of their favorite animals. There was no storm, no demon to pull him beneath the waves, no more whispers. He was free. It was the perfect dream for his last night before he met the hanging tree. As he chatted with Gigi, he turned to see a woman in flowing purple robes approach from the shore. The pair of them watched her tentatively. He was certain they had never met, but he could not help but think that he had seen her before. She stopped a good distance away. Something long and silver glimmered in her hands. She whispered faintly about fulfilling a promise, and the sea breeze carried her voice far into the horizon. Long's eyes fluttered open. He awoke not in his cell, but on a soft futon in the foundry's workers' lodgings, completely disoriented, but ready to ignite the first of the rail golems in the pale dawn light. That's it for another episode of The Weird Chronicles. Join us next time for more tales of action and adventure. <laughs>